Good morning, good morning, good morning. Let me say happy Resurrection Day to everyone out there. Also, let me make sure I am connected across all platforms, doing a little something different this morning and just want to make sure everything is connected and coming through properly as it should be. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I hope everyone is doing well. It is a blessed and wonderful resurrection day. Everyone getting up. I know it's a different change from what we normally have during this time. Um, <laughs> my daughter actually tickled me this morning. I came out and she was dressed in her full Easter colored dress regalia, sitting on the couch with her Bible. And I said, where are you going? She said, well, I'm going to home church, you know, so I couldn't help but be a little bit <laughs> tickled by that. Sometimes, you know, in the midst of chaos and um, confusion that's going on. You just need a good laugh, right? Amen. So today, 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 on this blessed day, when everyone is praising and looking at the resurrection, what took place many, 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 many years ago. Now is the time when we truly, truly, good morning, Sister Regina. Let me know if everything's coming through clear before we get started. Um, if everything looks good, everything's coming through, audio, video, no glitches, no delays, because, you know, the oh, the enemy tried to be busy yesterday. Welcome, Sister um, Lisa Renee, and I can see, oh, it's great here. Yep, I can see. Good morning. Good morning, Sister Regina. Um, so glad to see you all. I see Shay coming in. Just what a blessing to be here on this day. And before we um, get started, you know, I just want to do things in an orderly fashion. But, you know, as I was saying, um, you know, prior to this, this is a different time. This is a different season that we're in. And it's just, you know, we have to go with what God has given us. Right. And I was having a discussion with some of my dear sisters yesterday. And we were saying how, you know, back during the um Passover season, you know, there was pestilence in the land. And right now, you know, Bible prophecy is ev more than ever speaking to us and showing us. And if our eyes are wide open, we can clearly see what's going on. So today's message may be a somber message for all. Today's message may be something new that you haven't heard before. Good morning. Good morning, Mother Sandra. Happy Resurrection Day. Praise the Lord. I'm just so happy to see all of you all. So happy to see um, that we're able to come together and we've been given another precious gift, another day of life. The day our precious Lord and Savior was brought back to life. Amen. So let's start in an orderly fashion and, 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 and start with prayer. Father God, loving Father, we come before you and I just want to say thank you for this privilege and honor to be able to pray, Father God, as we pray together in communion to you the same way that we would talk to a sweet, dear friend, Father God. We speak to you that same way, right? Right now, Lord, we just want to say thank you, Lord, because greater love had no man than this when a man lays down his life for his friends, Father God. I ask that you give each of us the courage to be able to do the same because we know that time is soon coming upon us, Father God. I ask with this message, Father God, first and foremost, to cleanse all unrighteousness, Father God, anything that is unlike you, unlike your character and precious name, Lord. I pray that you will take our lives and consecrate them unto you, Father God. Father, I ask that you take my mind at this point and, and begin to minister through me to the hearts of the brothers and sisters that this message may reach, Father God. 
I ask that you make this message plain, Father God. Make it clear as we begin to lay out your truths today, Lord. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And as you can see here, I have Psalm 139 on the screen. And it's also a, you know, a, a really good song for those who've not heard it. You know, search me, oh God. Know my heart today. And as as I deliver the Lord's word. I ask you just search your heart because on a day like today, when so many people are saying, um, you know, oh, you know, the savior rose, you know, the, the, Jesus gave his life for us. Do we truly understand the magnitude of what happened? Do we truly understand? Are we truly living in a fashion that would make him say, I am proud. I am proud. Well done, good and faithful servant. Are we truly on this day? So as we go through this message, I ask that you surrender, you know, your hearts and, and surrender your minds to be able to listen to this message as we go forth with it, right? Cleanse each of us from sin and set us free. That's what I ask for today. So let's get started here and not delay because as I said, the lyrics of this song, um, if you look at them closely are to prepare the mind because this just isn't a wham, pam, you know, cotton candy type of rhyming lingo, you know, message that everybody's used to. So I ask that you just prepare your heart, prepare your mind to listen to God's word and truly understand it the way that it's meant to be understood, right? So let's get off into this study, right? We're gonna talk about judgment. And this is such an important study because generally when we look at judgment, when we think about judgment, we think about destruction, we think about chaos, we think about, you know, maybe people possibly possibly being beaten, you know, and it's just just so many different pictures. Each mind has a different picture. All right. So, but the Bible, you know, does tell us that there were judgments that were delivered and passed on in past times. We remember Pharaoh, as I spoke about not too long ago, you know, when the judgment came along against him, right. And him and his crew, they were swallowed up by the Red Sea. The Bible tells us then there was Uzzah who, who was, you know, initially not an enemy of God, but he decided to take it upon himself to do things the way that he wanted wanted to do it. And we know that a judgment was delivered to him. He ended off going off into exile with leprosy and he died, right? So when we think of judgments, there are many different kind of manifestations of the word judgment. We can see God coming swiftly. A certain act happens. A certain thing takes place. In essence, that is a judgment, right? However, there is the judgment, that great day, right? So as a result, when I was going through putting this study together, I said, Lord, just guide my mind, guide my heart, because this is such an important message, because the judgment will affect each and every one of us in a different way, depending on how we're living our lives, have lived our lives, or will continue to live our lives. Amen. So let's look here. We're going to start with the great apostle Paul. Y'all remember Paul, right? Uh, <laughs> you can't help but remember Paul, right? Uh, Paul was initially, um, we know, an enemy of God, right? A major enemy of God. But Paul became a champion for God. And after his conversion, we're going to start. If you have, um, I ask that you get your notes with you. But, you know, I do leave all of my broadcasts up. That way, if you don't, you know, have pen, paper, and mainly your Word of the spirit with you. That way you can follow along line by line, verse by verse, and not just say, well, Torah said, mm -mm. get your Bible out 
Let me switch back here. Get your Bible out. That way you can't say what Torah said, "Mm -mm," because we're going line by line, precept upon precept, and you can follow along. But again, the broadcast will remain up. That way you can go back and match up the scriptures and say, hmm, maybe that old Torah is on to something, right? So let's look here. We know when Paul was talking to uh, the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, the Athenians believed all sorts of things. You know, they, their mind was just all over the place, right? And so Paul comes along because they were worshiping pagan gods. And at one point they were bowing down to idols. And at this point, there was a statue that had an inscription on it. Right. And so the inscription on it read to the unknown God. These people, the Athenians, they were worshiping a God that they did not even know. They didn't have a clue. They're just bowing down, idly worshiping. Right. So at this point in reading that in Acts 17, it makes me go, hmm, wow. Seems like there's a lot of Athenians across the world today worshiping a God that they claim to know, but truly do not know. Amen. So you just can't help but say, wow. Hmm. And even sometimes, did I truly know the God that I was worshiping? Or was I just getting up, going through a routine? Well, it's Sunday. Let me put on my shoes, my hat. Let me grab my bag. Let me put on my suit, my tie. I'm just going through a routine. Do you truly know the God that you claim to love? Do you truly know the Jesus that you claim to worship? Do you truly know the Jesus that everybody's getting up? A lot of the kids are sad because they don't have their little cute Easter baskets. People can't put on their cute outfits. Do you truly know the God, the Jesus that you're up celebrating and posting up the cute little happy Easter, happy resurrection day? And I ask you all throughout this message today, search your heart. I'm just a messenger from the wall. Don't get upset with me. Take it out with the word. Take it up with the word. If you feel a conviction, right? Because I'm not here to convict, condemn, or convert. I am here to simply deliver a message from the wall using God's word, solo solo scripture, amen. So people worshiping a God that they don't even know. So when we look at this, right? Paul comes to the Athenians with nothing but pure love, nothing but pure love, right? And and he's saying, hey, y'all, that God that you don't know, let me make him known to you today. So in today's terms, he was saying, y'all gonna learn. You're gonna learn today about this, right? So Paul begins to preach the gospel to them and he's preaching it so well to them that some of them was like, wait a minute, um, Paul, you already told us, you know, we, we got that part. Now tell us what we need to do. What do we need to do, right? So let's look at Acts chapter 17 to see what Paul told them to do. And what you will find is that what Paul told them thousands of years ago wasn't again. Welcome, welcome, Sister Bobby Ann. That what Paul told them that day is ever so relevant to today. It was relevant to yesterday. It will be relevant to tomorrow and going on until the sweet Lord Jesus comes back and says, now it's time to come home. Amen. So the Bible says in Acts 17 chapter, verse 30, and the times of this ignorance, it says, what does it say God did? He winked at it. God winked at it. So let's stop here. We're going to put a pen in right here in Acts 17. Just put your finger, stick a pencil, pen, whatever you got. And we're going to flip over to John 
3, John chapter 3, because there's an important point that we can't miss here. Again, we're going line by line, precept upon precept, because I don't want anybody to miss anything. So stick a pen in Acts 17, flip your Bible over to John chapter 3, and I'm giving you time to flip through and get there, right? Because Paul just said, in your times of ignorance, meaning you didn't know this, right? He says, God did something, right? And the Bible says that God winked at it, right? So the word winked in Greek means he overlooked. So in other words, at that point, God was not holding them accountable, right? Even though they were practicing idolatry, worshiping pagan gods, bowing down to a statue that says to the unknown God, God is saying, hey, I'm just going to wink at that out of your ignorance. I, I'm going to let it slide, right? But Paul makes it clear you didn't know it was a sin. And as a result of that, because you were ignorant, he says, God overlooks it. God does not hold you accountable to it. Now, the reason why this is important, look at John chapter 3, verse 19, right? The Bible says, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Amen. People saying, you know, you ever have people seeing with these huge signs out on the street, you know, yelling, you're going to hell, repent, repent, repent. Now you're going to hell. Are those old fire and brimstone preachers when you pull them up and listen to them, the audio recordings are so old that they're crackling and going on, you know, and they're just raining down fire and brimstone stone from the uh, pulpit. You sinners, you idolaters, you're going to hell. you fornicators, you're going to hell. You remember them fire and brimstone preachers. I know somebody out there does, right? And, and you have somebody, you remember when you were a little kid, especially, and your uh, mom, grandma, somebody, you know, maybe the old neighbors, like, you're going to hell. You better quit that, you little gal. That is not of God. You're going to hell. And you're like, what you mean hell? What you talking about? I don't even know what I did. What is sin? I don't understand that, right? And so I'm thankful, even though that people do this today and I see people yelling and shouting, people repent, repent, you're a sinner, you're going to hell. A lot of people truly don't have a concept of what a sinner is and the true definition, which the Bible does define of the word sin, right? So I'm thankful for scripture because scripture defines everything. The key to unlocking scripture is scripture itself. Not what Uncle Pete says, not what Pastor Paul says, not what uh, Uncle Jimmy says. The key to unlocking and understanding scripture is using scripture. Amen. So let's continue to use it because the Bible says that this is condemnation, that light must first come to us. So that says we must see the light, we must understand the light and we must comprehend the light, right? That's what it's telling us. And then if the light comes to us, and at that point, if once we understand it, we've comprehended it and we reject the light and say, you know what? I don't want this light. I don't want no parts of this. Put me back in the darkness because this disrupts my lifestyle. You mean to tell me that I can't go out and have Hennessy on Saturday night and get up in the pulpit or sit up in the pews of the church? and act like I'm holier than thou on Sunday morning. That's not how any of this works, right? That light does not fit my traditions. Wait a minute. I was raised a Baptist, Presbyterian, Aphromestodist. This does not line up with what I'm saying. I don't like what this scripture is telling me, right? That light is not in harmony with what a person may have grown up with, right? The understanding of the Bible. So you say, whoa, whoa, I don't want to, mm-mm, mm-mm. 
Mm-mm. I don't want no parts of that. You reject it, right? So what happens is once we reject true light because of tradition, inconvenience, or just plain, simple, downright rebellion, then at that point, the Bible says, now you're condemned. See it there? And this is the condemnation. It says, now you're condemned. Make sure you note that point. So condemnation does not just come to someone because they found out they were doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. That's not when the condemnation comes. Condemnation comes when a person finds out I've done something wrong. God says, Torah, you've done this wrong. He shows me the path. He shows me righteousness. And then I say, "Mm mm-mm. I don't want it. I'm going to keep living out here doing what I want to do in and out of these clubs, um, talking to people any kind of way, just doing what I want to do, living life the way that I want to live it. Right. At that point, that's when it says, hey, I'm not going to follow this, because even though the word of God tells me this, but my great grandmama and all the rest of them told me that this is what the scripture says and this is what the scripture means. So this is what I'm going to go with. Right. At that point, that's when the condemnation comes. It is that it is. At that time, when we re- clearly push away and reject the light, that, that condemnation comes. Are you understanding? You following me here? What we got going on? How is this is being laid out? So that's a principle that we need to be able to clearly understand when we study God's word, right? Because God is not quick to condemn. God is a God that is quick to save. But if we reject the light, then we have no choice, scripture tells us, but to receive the condemnation of God. So now let's flip back over to Acts 17 and finish off verse 30, right? Because Paul made it clear that God winked at it. He says, okay, okay, here we go. Let's look at it. He says, but now commandeth all men everywhere to do what? To repent. So here with repentance, once God shows us our evil ways, right? Once he's shown us to us, he's shown us the right path, the path that we're on. God says, look, I'm not condemning you. I just educated you at this point. It's an education. And if you receive the education, God says, just repent. That's all you have to do. But sometimes we try and justify it. We try and come up with all kinds of excuses, right? But you know what? A great and wonderful spiritual sister of mine, she broke it down so simple one night as we were studying. To justify it, to try and explain it, is to be in agreement with it, right? You're just saying, you know what? I'm in agreement with it because I'm trying to explain it. And I'm going to try and make this sin that I'm doing make sense. Mm-mm, that's not how any of this works, right? So once God gives you that education, just repent, turn away. And as a result, God says, at that point, you'll be on the road to salvation, right? Education rejected leads to condemnation. I love that. Education rejected leads to condemnation. Amen. Plain and simply put. So you repent, you turn away. Now watch this. It's important we look at why did Paul specifically tell the people to repent? In other words, there is a reason just beyond him standing there, you know, just to look good in front of the people. There was a reason he's telling them to repent. You know, he wasn't saying just repent to be repent. You know how sometimes you just catch yourself and you say, man, seem like I'm repenting and saying, Lord, forgive me every five minutes, you know, because we know once we've come into a true repentance, once we've had a true encounter 
with God, something's going to change. You're not just going to keep diving back into the same mess time and time and time and time again. There's going to be some sort of change. So there's a reason that Paul is telling them to repent and not just for repentance sake to be hearing themselves talk, right? So the Bible says, because. In other words, Paul has told them to repent and he's now saying exactly why they should repent, right? So let's look at it here. He says in verse 31, because he hath appointed a day in which he's going to do something. What's he going to do? He's going to judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men and that he hath raised him from the dead. So notice the Bible makes it very clear here that when Paul was preaching to the Athenians, he was simply calling them to a knowledge of the true God. And then he called them to repentance. And the reason why is because he says, God has set up a day that he will do a work of judgment. You following? God has set up a day when he will do a work of judgment. Now, when most people hear this in the different sects, the different religions that are out there, you know, each one believes in some form of judgment, right? But the judgment that the apostle Paul is speaking of is it truly understood, right? And as I'm going through it, I was asking the Lord, prepare me. What is it that you want me to teach on? What is it that you want me to deliver? To deliver? Because, you know, I honestly don't just pull this stuff out of the air, right? I really don't. And God directed me during this study. So again, I ask if you don't have your Bibles, your swords of the spirit, grab your Bibles, your notepads, because we're getting ready to go into a deep study here because Paul makes it clear as he goes through this. A day of judgment is coming. And again, when we think of judgment, we generally think of something along the lines of mass destruction, something that in your mind may look like this buildings crumbling. It's just fire, destruction, confusion all over the place. People running in fear and chaos as you know, fire and brimstone and buildings, you know, coming down, people screaming, trampling over each other, things being blown up and the wicked just being destroyed and just laid out right now. How the ever, as my grandmother used to say, how the ever, there will come a day when God will do this type of judgment. I'm just here to tell you that there will come a day when God will bring this type of judgment. Therefore, a study like this is so important because I need as many of us, including myself, to avoid this type of judgment that I'm going to teach on today, right? And so I ask, is the judgment that the apostle Paul that we just looked at over in Acts, right? Is that the judgment? Is this kind of judgment that's here on the screen that you're saying just chaos, confusion, you know, people just being, you know, laser down the Lord, just boom, boom, just firing them down. Is that the type of judgment? Because we need to be clear in understanding. Is that the type of judgment that Paul was talking about? And deeper study into the word of God, into the word judgment, unfolds some amazing things in the word of God when you're truly stuttering, right? For example, let's take a look here at a text from Revelations, right? Exactly. It is not plain and simple. No, uh-uh, mm-mm. No, sorry, Bob. That is the answer. It is not the judgment that Paul is talking about. It's just not, right? So let's look at it here. Let's move forward. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, and behold, 
Now, this is Jesus talking, right? This is Jesus talking. And behold, I come quickly and my what? It says, and my reward is with me. Now, here's a question for you. Since when Christ comes, he's saying, I'm bringing a reward. My question to you is, I'm telling y'all, I need y'all to thank. Amen. There you go right there. I'm bringing a reward. My reward, right? Right. There we go. Revelations 22 and 12. My reward is coming with me. So the question that I have for you is when he comes with this reward, how does he know who to give which reward to? How does he know um, which reward Sandra gets, which reward Sister Bobby Ann gets, which reward um, um, does Sister Chauncey get? How does he know, right? It means he has measured us already. So there has to be, right? So follow me now. There would have to be a judgment. There would have to be a judgment that's already decided who gets what reward because is everybody getting the same reward? Mm-mm. Hate to tell you, but mm-mm. just going to let you sit on that one for a minute. Everybody is not getting the same reward. So again, truth right? As a result, there has to be a judgment before the reward. And to me, the more I went into the study, it just made common sense. But again, we know common sense is not so common. So as a watchman on the wall, hmm, I'm here to break it down to you today, right? Because we're going to go beyond common sense. We're going to go into scripture, line upon line. Uh, we're going to need to do some deep diving, some deep thinking. That way I can really, really make it plain, right? That's what we're going to do. We got a deal. Remember that my in my beginning prayer, I said, Lord, Lord, help me to make it plain, right? For all of those that are out there celebrate, do they really understand and saying, my God is risen today. Jesus was risen today. Do they truly understand the God that they're worshiping? Do they truly understand the judgment that's coming, right? The judgment that we're going through, right? So here it is. The Bible makes it clear. Repent. Why? Because a day of judgment is coming. God has anointed a day of judgment. Plain and simple. When we think of judgment, we think of mass destruction that's going to take place in the second coming of Christ. Well, now here we're clearly, clearly looking at the screen, seeing the words of Jesus, right? Uh, Jesus himself saying, listen, behold, I'm coming quickly, but I'm coming and I'm bringing a reward. So if he's bringing a reward, that means that a judgment must have taken place beforehand so he can distribute the right reward. Here's your reward. Here's your reward. Here's your reward. Here's your reward. Hey, that's just the way it goes, right? And again, that just made sense to me. But again, sometimes common sense ain't so common. So we're going to go further into the scripture to see the three groups that fall under judgment. At this point, you may be saying, hold on, I really need to get my pen. Three groups? What three groups fall under the judgment? Well, let me tell you, at this point right here, three groups the Bible shows will come under judgment. Big difference between judgment and execution of the judgment. Exactly. There's a huge difference. The Bible clearly shows us that there's three groups that will come under. And what we're going to do, the main purpose again here is to see where do we fit into this picture. Where do we fit into those three groups, right? Let's look at it. Let's look at what the Bible says. The first group, group number one, 
Because I said there's what? Three. So we're going to look at group number one. The first group we're going to look at is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. It says, do ye not know? Paul is talking here to the believers, right? Believers in the church of Corinth. He says, do ye not know who? The saints. It says, do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? So look closely at what the Bible says here, because what's happening is there's lawsuits more prevalent all over the place in the days back in the church of Corinth. And as a result of this, people in the church, can y'all believe that? Look, can y'all believe that? People in the church carrying on, suing each other. Can y'all believe that? That's, mm. But I know none of us here today would do that, right? We wouldn't dare sue one of our brothers and sisters, would we? Right? And so people suing each other. So at this point, Paul is seeing this, right? Paul is seeing this going on. And he's saying, hey, y'all brothers and sisters, y'all seeing each other. Don't you know that one day, God is going to allow you to judge the world. And if God is going to allow you to judge the world, you mean to tell me that you can't manage to settle some of these little small, trivial differences that y'all have in here between each other, right? That's what exactly what Paul is saying. You mean to tell me y'all in here suing each other, taking each other to court, wasting time. If God is going to allow you to judge at some point, this what y'all gonna do? Really? This is what we're doing right now. So Paul is telling them, stop going to court. Stop taking each other to court. That's exactly what he's saying here. So the first group of the three groups that fall under the judgment, the Bible calls them what? If you're following me, the Bible calls them what? The first group that falls under the judgment is who? It's the world. That's the first group, group number one. The saints shall judge the world. You following me here? So the first group is the world. Now, Let's continue. Let's label it a little bit differently right here. Let's go to the book of James chapter four, right? That's right. The first group is the world. I want to make sure y'all following me here. The first group is the world because we're going to make it plain. We're going to make it clear. That is so important, right? So we're going to label it a little bit differently. Go over to James chapter four, and we're going to define the world a little bit more differently, right? Three groups. Three groups. And number one, jot that down. Take copious notes is the world. We're going to define the world a little bit differently. That's exactly what we're going to do. Because I like it clear. When things are confusing and cloudy, it just causes confusion. It just makes things all out of order. And you guys know that have been with me a while. I like to say confusion is not how any of this works. So we're going to make it plain, make it clear. Let's keep going. You shall judge the world. And then you may say, okay, fine. I'm going to judge the world, but what am I going to be judging? Am I going to be judging buildings? Am I going to be judging planets? Am I going to be judging, you know, do I get to judge Mars, Pluto? What am I going to do? So look here what the Bible says, exactly what the world means. We're defining it straight from the scripture, straight from the Bible. The Bible says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of what? Friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is what? Is the enemy of God. So another way that we can term the world is what? As the enemy of God, plain and simple. So when you th start thinking about the world, it's not that we're going to be judging planets, and any other thing that may come to your mind that's in place. But the saints are going to judge the enemies 
of God. Let's keep going, making this plain and clear. Let's find out who these enemies are because the Bible clearly spells it out in even more plain language. If you go over to Romans chapter five, verse 10, the Bible says, and I'm gonna, at this point, we're going to start with five and 10, and then we're going to go backwards through these verses here. So watch what we're going to do. Romans chapter five and verse 10 is talking about the amazing grace and sacrifice of Jesus Christ by which he died that we may live. So let's look now and notice the Bible describes the people that Jesus died for, right? It says in Romans five and verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Hey, Sister Natasha, so glad to see you. Welcome. Amen. Right? So it says, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Amen. Praise God for that. Right? Because again, we know a lot of people, happy resurrection day, happy Easter, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Again, inserting the question, do you really understand today? Do you really understand the sacrifice? Do you really understand the reason? Do you really understand the judgment? All right, but watch this. Not only were they called enemies, but in verse eight, they're also called something else, right? Let's look at verse eight and see what it says. That while we were yet what? Sinners, Christ died for us. So when you think of the world, you're going to think of the enemies of God. When you think of the enemies of God, you're going to think of the sinners, right? Sinners are opposite of saints, plain and simple, tied all in, tied all in. So when Paul was making his point, he was saying, don't you know, that the day is going to come when the saints are going to judge the world, the enemies of God, the sinners who stayed in their sin. So that's the first group that falls under the judgment. And I said, there were how many, how many groups, right? Sinners are the enemies of God. And I said, there were how many groups, right? Three. I've identified one. So we got two more to go. I say settle in um, if you have whatever libations with you, because we're, we're going to take our time with this thing, right? Anybody going nowhere? Mm -mm. We're going to take our time and continue to make it plain and clear. So we got two more to go. Let's go. First category of the judge, world enemies of God, sinners, plain and simple. Let's go. Right, 1 Corinthians 6 and 3. Know ye not that we shall judge, know ye not that we shall judge angels, how much more things that pertain to this life. So the next verse says, Ye know ye not that we shall judge who? Angels. So imagine that. There it is, plain and simple. The second group that falls under the judgment, according to the Bible, the first group that falls under the judgment is the world or the enemies of God slash sinners. The second group is angels. Angels are actually going to be judged by the saints. Let that sink in. Angels are going to be judged by the saints. Now, remember, there's three groups that fall under the judgment in the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelations. There are three groups. First group, the world, 
God's enemies are sinners. The second group, the angels. Amen. Now, these are clearly not unfallen angels. These are fallen angels, which we're also going to clearly use scripture to point out. Let's keep going forward because we got a ways to go here. Let's keep going. So this is the first point that we want to identify, right? The two groups that fall under the judgment. Question here. Let's make sure we're all on the same page. Let's just make sure. So we see thus far that God has appointed a day of judgment. Yes, we see that, right? We also see that some of those that will participate in the judgment are called the saints. Is that right? Yes, right? So the two groups that we've identified that will fall under the judgment are, amen, right? I see the yes is coming through because I got to make everybody sure understanding this, right? So the two groups that we've identified that will fall under the judgment are the world, or what we call enemies of sinners, and the second group, angels. Now, we got two important questions. Thank you, Sister Natasha. We all clear. All right, let's keep going forward. So the next two questions are very relevant. And very important. This is where I need you to say, mind, open up, mind, open up. Follow me now. Solo scripture. That's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Nothing but. So when are the saints engaged in judgment? And what is the purpose of the judgment? Now that we know the saints are going to do it. And at this point, you might be saying, well, praise the Lord. That God is going to use. You mean to tell me, Tor, that God is going to use me to be judging wicked people? Well, hot, dusting, getting all excited. Praise the Lord. I'm going to get to judge people. I can't wait. Hold up. That's not how any of this works. So before we start feeling justified and running around, right, let me take a stab during the thousand years. Come on now. So uh, you might be saying, well, wait a minute. Let me get myself right. I can go out here and just start judging people. Mm, I, mm, let me go over here and judge my neighbors. No. Nope, that's not how any of this works, right? And you had them people that are yelling, hold on, you're a sinner. No, you just can't go running around doing that. I'm judging you. No, that's not how it works. Because there's a reason that these two questions here are relevant. There's a reason. Does anybody understand why these two questions are relevant, right? There's also a text because there's a text and somebody may throw it up. Matthew 7, where Jesus also says, judge not, lest ye be judged. So with that being said, how do we balance it, right? How do we balance that text of scripture? Judge not, lest ye be judged. With the fact that scripture just told us, because I just showed you that the saints will judge the sinners. How do you balance that, right? Let's look at it right here. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, therefore judge how many things? It says judge nothing before the time. Well, when is the time? Until the Lord comes. You see it right there? You see that? So look at it. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will manifest the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have praise of God. So God says, yes, the saints are going to be involved in the judgment. They're going to judge the wicked and they're going to judge those fallen angels, but they're not going to do it now. Not right now. Do you know why? Do you know why? Right where I just saw it somewhere over here. Where did I see it at? We are not in a position, not in a position 
Why? Because we don't know the counsels of a man's heart, of a woman's heart. There are a lot of people that we can say, that's a tear. And that may actually be a wheat. We can say, that's a wheat right there. Mm -hmm. That's a woman of God. That's a man of God. We don't, uh uh, we don't know. So that wheat may actually be a tear. We do not, right now, at this time, have what's called balanced judgment. We just don't have it. So this is why now God says, judge not lest ye be judged because we don't have the discernment at this time, right? Remember, when we're judging someone, it requires two things. I need to know your motives. If I'm going to judge you, that means I should understand your motive. And we don't understand that, right? That's why the Bible says the books were open, right? Come on now, right? Admit, see, I love to see that. That's right. This is a conviction for me. Whoa, help me, Lord. This is the time to just say, Lord, search my heart. Put it out there. Just repent, repent, turn away and go on. That's how we got to do it. That's what we're looking at and searching here today. Because I can tell somebody, hey, I just saw you steal that. I just saw you do it. You need to go put that back. Right. And I can tell the person that because I saw what they did. Hey, you just stole that them headphones or that you just stole that person. I know why you did it, because you're a loser. You're low down. Your mama was no good. Your daddy was a thief and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And you ain't got no respect for God. I can just berate the person to no end. Right. If I go down that route, then what am I doing? At that point, if I take that route, I'm judging because I'm trying to read their motive and why they did what they did. And God clearly says, I do not give you at this time the privilege to judge anyone because we don't have the mental fortitude, our capacity, our discernment, our understanding to be able to understand people's motives at this time. We just don't. The second thing that involves judging is to determine one's faith. You and I, we don't have the power to do that. I can't say, Regina, you going to hell. Sandra, you going to hell. Charles, you going to hell. We do not have that because I can guarantee you when Stephen was getting hit with those stones, you remember Stephen, right? Over in Acts chapter six and seven, right? When he was getting hit with those stones and about to die, Stephen saw two things, right? Because Saul, the first thing he saw was Saul standing there. And Saul was probably like, kill him, mm -hmm. kill him. Standing there, big Saul, all, you know, they said Saul was a big old man, couldn't hide as much as he tried to hide. Y'all remember that when he tried to hide back there with the luggage and everything, right? So he's probably looking at him and he's seeing that. Then on the right, on the other side, he saw Jesus sitting on the right hand of the father, right? Now, the last thing that Stephen saw, there go that old wicked enemy of God, right? The man that has even commanded my death that's fighting against my master Jesus. That's what Stephen saw. But when Stephen wakes up, he gonna be like, hey, hey, Jesus. Ooh, Lord, so glad to see you, Jesus. He's gonna look around, see all his friends, people that he ministered to, and then be like, hold up. What's he doing here? Why is Saul here? But... He's not Saul anymore. He's Paul. You understand? And I'm so thankful that Stephen, when he was dying, he did not judge Saul, right? Instead, he said, Father, forgive him. He does not know what he's doing. And God heard that prayer. So to judge is to either try to determine someone's motive or determine someone's fate of which we do not 
currently have the right. Amen. We just don't. There ain't no if, ands, or buts about it. And as a result of that, judge not lest you be judged. But Jesus says, judge nothing before the time, because when the time comes, which is when? It says, when the Lord comes, don't forget that, mark that down, add, up, add that also, don't forget it. It says, when the saints will judge the wicked, the time when the saints will judge the fallen angels is after, after, remember that, after the Lord comes. And why is it at that point that the, at that point, after the Lord comes, why is it that they'll then be qualified to judge? Why is it at that point, I pray, I will be qualified to judge? Because the hidden things of darkness, the counsels of the hearts will be made manifest. They're going to see the whole entire picture, the whole story at this point. Then you'll be able to say, now, I understand why Paul is here, right? This is when one will clearly be able to see, right? We will know it all then. Exactly. At that point, we will know it all then. You'll be able to understand. Hmm. Now the books are open. I understand why big mama ain't here. My uncle did that. Man, I understand why my uncle ain't here. Hmm. Let me look for my friend, Cresha. Oh, man, I see why my best friend ain't here. Oh, what? Pastor Pope ain't in here. What? In oh, Lord, I see why pastor ain't here. My God. Mm. Mm. My pastor. Lord, I can see it. Up. My pastor, the man. Mm, thank God I went home and studied for myself, line upon line, precept upon precept. Thank God I did not take the word of man. Mm. Oh, my sister ain't here. My brother ain't here. I'm telling y'all, listen to me. This will be a solemn time, right? And we'll also be surprised. Girl, I thought you was in them streets and them clubs every night. What you doing here? Girl, and he here. No, he how that whole family get here? Them low down rotten rat. How? It? That's what's gonna happen. You will see exactly why. It will be a serious and solemn time because some that we expect to see won't be nowhere to be seen. Some that we didn't expect to see. Praise God that each of us have the mercy, grace through God's long suffering to stand there and make it. Because I pray to see y'all on the other side. That is my prayer daily. I pray for my pray for myself to be on the other side, looking at the books to be like, ooh, oh, to the wee, wee, wee. Mm -hmm. All question marks at this point will be erased during this time when the saints begin to judge. There will be access to the books of the records of all of our lives. Every secret, everything that's behind a closed door. Let me go back here. Ain't nobody going to know about this. I'm going to keep this quiet. Mm -hmm. At that time, everything. You understand? So watch this. When we deal with the question, when will the saints be engaged in judgment? It is when? After the Lord comes. 
because only when the Lord comes first, then afterwards, he's going to go ahead and allow them to participate in the judgment. Are we clear this far? If we are, say amen. That's right. I see a vision of myself standing for God and all will be revealed. Amen. So we cleared this far. Everybody understanding where we're going so far? Line upon line, precept upon precept. Right. I'm a, I'm with you. If this don't make you get right with God, something wrong. Something is wrong, but we're going to carry on. Right. All right. Now, next question. What is the purpose of the judgment? Let's look at it. The Bible says in Second Corinthians five and verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body. According to that, he has done, whether it be good or bad. So when the question comes up, what is the purpose of the judgment? The answer is so everyone can receive the right thing that they deserve, whether it be good or bad. And again, normally when we think of judgment, we just normally think of bad. But I know from my study, that judgment has to deal with just more than bad destruction, destroying chaos, right? You know why? Because how many people does God want to perish? How many people does scripture tell us that God wants to perish? None. So we agree that God doesn't want anyone to perish. Is that right? Amen. None. Zero. Zip. Zilch. None. Mm -mm. None. Plain and simple. Zero. Right. So now listen to this. Because of that fact, do you know why from studying the scripture that I know that judgment has to mean something more than the perishing and punishment of people? And you say, well, Torah, how do you know that? Well, let me just show you the same way I always do, line upon line, precept upon precept, because as the song it says, the Bible tells me so. Let's look here, right? The Bible says, Isaiah 61 and 8, for I, the Lord, love judgment. God loves what? Now. If judgment only meant the destruction of people, does God love the destruction of people? No. The good news, amen? The good news about the judgment. If it meant only destruction of people, it just don't line up because he wants no one to perish. So that means that the word judgment must mean something more than just the destruction of people. So at this point in the study, what was I required to do as a good Berean would go and do? I had to go and look up and see what the word judgment meant. And it means vindicate, vindication. There it is right there. Take that down in your copious notes so you can go back and check. There it is. Strong's Hebrew 8. One nine nine. That way you can go back and check and don't just say, well, Torah said, mm -mm. nope, don't do it. Mm -mm. It means to vindicate because if you ever been falsely accused of something, have you ever had somebody saying, uh-uh, look at you. I know you did it. You did do it. I know you said it and they just blaming you and blaming. It would seem that everybody is blaming you. You are the reason that all things are taking place right now. Sound familiar? Here it is that you're standing there just innocent, right? And what you need, what do you need when someone is accusing you and you look guilty? You need vindication, right? God has been falsely accused. You need vindication. And this is why 
I love, right? It's happened to all of us. You say it's um, happened to me before. It's happened to all of us. We've been accused and blamed for something that we didn't have nowhere to do it. We wasn't there at the time. We wasn't on the phone call. We wasn't in the meet. We were nowhere near. But everybody's saying, you did it. You, her, her did. You know, I'm little kid be like, him did it. Mm-hmm. Her did it. Mm-hmm. You being blamed for it. And God says, I love judgment. Why? Why? Because in the eyes of God, God says, the way that I look at judgment, I look at it as a vindication process because there's an accuser of the brethren. There's somebody that's going around saying that every single one of us deserves to die. Plain and simple. There's somebody going around saying that God is not just, that he's not faithful, that God is not who he says he is, right? There's somebody out there saying these things. That's why we have people today that reject God. Another reason studies like this are so important because I come in to rebuke those lies and say, no, God does not hate you. It does not matter what you've done. It don't matter what you did five minutes ago. If you come and say, Lord, I laid down my soul. I repent to thee. God loves you and his arms are still outstretched to say, come on. Come on. You know how people do the little babies? Come, come, come on, come on, come to mommy. He's saying, just come on, come on, come, come, come. Mm-hmm. Right? And so as a watchman on the wall, I have to come in and debunk these lies. I just can't sit around and let people say un uh, untruths. I just cannot. Nope, nope, ain't going to happen. Not on my watch, not on this portion of the wall that I have been assigned to. So therefore, God says, I have a solution. I'm going to allow a judgment process to take place. And through this judgment process, God and his people are going to be vindicated, right? So when we look at this here, we've answered both questions. Wouldn't you agree? First question was, first one, when are the saints engaged in judgment? Now we know. When are they engaged in judgment? When the Lord comes when the Lord comes. Then the Bible also tells us what is the purpose, clearly told us what is the purpose of the judgment. It is so what would happen? The purpose of the judgment, everybody, everybody, you, me, him, her, everyone will get the right reward. So when Jesus comes back, what's he coming back with? He's coming back with his reward. So he wants the judgment to take place. So everybody gets the right reward. Understand? Everybody still follow me? All right, good. So nobody is just going to plain and simply get into heaven because you decided to get up this morning, put on your cute Sunday, go to Easter meeting on the church couch suit and sit there and watch the sermon and shout and praise. Mm -mm. God ain't going to just let you in because of the way you look. He ain't going to let you in because of the Louboutins that you got on, the $10,000 shoes and you look real cute in them. He ain't going to let you in because you was blessed with a pretty face. He ain't going to let you in because you got um, real good linguistics and you can make words rhyme real good, right? That's not how that's going to happen. It's nothing of the sort. God says, I have a standard of which I'm going to find out who is worthy to be with me forever. Now, I don't know about you, but that is my desire. That is my desire. And so if you ever sat, let's look at this right here. Let me just make this bigger so you can see it. Have you ever just sat and looked at a scenery 
that's just so beautiful. And I remember being on a cruise to the Bahamas and I'm just looking at the water that's just outstretched like, my God, how did you do all this? How in the world, right? A scenery just so beautiful. And you just looking and saying, Lord, I can't wait to be with you. Your mind just zoned out. You're in a different time. You're in a different space. It can be, you know, all sorts of stuff going on around you. But all you can look is at the beauty of nature and say, Lord, Lord. I just want to be with you. And I don't know if that's a longing in your heart. And if it's not today, I pray wholeheartedly that God will put it in your heart just as he put it in mine, right? So you say, therefore, I want to be with you. But the great thing about it, the beauty is as much as we're saying, Lord Jesus, I can't wait. I want to be with you. He's more so saying, but hey, I want you to be with me. I want you to be with me. That's exactly what he's saying. No, just think about that. He's saying, no, uh-uh. I want you to be with me. Hey, Sister Cheryl, glad to see you. And this scenery here, for those of you that don't travel abroad, this right here is in the USA. You don't even have to travel far to see a beautiful uh, scenery. And I intention, when I was going through looking for pictures of beautiful things that I've seen, I was going to put up my trips from, you know, the Bahamas uh, over in Coco Cay. But this is right here in the U.S. And as soon as we get off, free off of this coronation, get you some coins or whatever you need together. And this is right over in Indiana Dunes State, State Park. This is exactly what this picture was taken. Just get you a little pick a nigga basket. You remember how they say a pick a nigga basket? Remember who used to say that? Get you a little pick a nigga basket. Take you a couple of friends. Or you may just want to go by yourself and just find this exact spot right here. It's in Indiana Dunes State Park. And just sit and reflect and say, my God, Look at what you've created. Look at your beauty, Lord. Let's move on here, right? So through this judgment process, God is saying, the last thing I want for you is for you to fail the judgment. He wants us to pass it. You understand, right? As soon as we come off of this coronation, soon as we get off of it, start saving your coins now, putting your stuff back so we can go back and get peace of mind and just sit in nature and enjoy God's beauty and say, Lord, I'm going to sit here on this beach or on this pier and reflect on how I can pass this judgment. Because I know scripture says you don't want us to fail. You don't want any of us to fail, right? So now we're coming to another crucial point. Hang on. Let me give me a drink here. We come into a crucial point in this study because I said there are three groups. How many groups did I say fall under the judgment? Three, three groups. How many have I identified? Two. So now that leaves one more, one more. So we're going to continue to go through this process of making it clear making it plain. So God says angels and the world or the wicked are going to be judged after the Lord comes. This particular judgment, we're not talking we're not talking again about God just allowing judgment to fall on a wicked person just here or there. We're talking about all the wicked as a group. Following? Let's keep moving here. But it happens after the Lord comes. We've already established that line upon line, precept upon precept. Are we in agreement with that? Can I see the amens? Can I see the yeses? We're all in agreement. I've laid it out for you. It is 
after the Lord comes. I presented the evidence. I called them heavenly facts. If I had a gavel, bam, heavenly facts, right? Because there's something crucial that we still need to understand. And I need everybody to say, I'm following you. I'm following you. I'm with you here, right? You need to understand there's two resurrections. You got to understand it. We got to cover it. Ain't no if, ands, or but about it. And at this point, some more, you, you may be growing to grab your NLT, your NIV, uh, your ASB, your KGV, your NKJV. Go grab whatever you need to grab so we can follow along because I'm going to make it plain and make it clear. We got to go through the two resurrections. You may be saying, well, Tor, the only resurrection I know about is the one that I can't put on my Easter suit today about. Uh-oh, somebody called security. Come on right? Call them. Call whoever you need to call. Call your uncle. Matter of fact, call them all and tell them to come on on this broadcast. That's what I need you to do because they may hear something that just opens their mind and truly gets them into the understanding of the resurrection today. Come on now. We got to go through it at this point. Call whoever you need to call. There's two resurrections that Jesus talked about when he was talking to the Pharisees here. And I, I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see what the Bible says. The Bible says, you remember how did my old preacher be like the Bible says? Now read in John 5 verses 28 and 29. For the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of what? Life. They that have done evil unto the resurrection of what? Damnation. Right there. So the Bible makes it very clear clear. There are two resurrections. There's the resurrection of life that only belongs to the good, those who did good. Then there's a resurrection of damnation that has come upon those who have done evil, right? Two, right there. Two. One, two, those. Two resurrections, right? So there's two different resurrections, two different rewards, two completely different paths. Now I ask, which path do you want to be on? Do you want to be on the righteous correct, the one with life? So considering this, let's also look at what the Bible says about the good resurrection, the, the, the one that I want to be a part of, the one that I pray all of you are also a part of. Let's look at that one. The Bible says Jesus is going to come. Let the saints say, amen, Jesus is going to come. He's going to come. The world can mock and say whatever they want. They'll just be a part of maybe that surprise group, right? But it's our mission. And it should be our mission to try and reach each and every one of those people so they don't stay like that, right? And Because I remember the day when I was an enemy of God. I remember the day because you don't forget it. You've changed, but you still remember, Lord, mm, thank you for keeping me, God, when I was living in sin like that. Thank mm. Mm, mm, mm. Thank you, God. I am no longer your enemy. Just think about it, right? No doubts about it. But God was patient and he was long suffering with me. He's patient and long suffering with all those precious souls who are out there mocking him, who are out there making fun, who making memes, putting up jokes, right? If God can save Saul when Saul was a murderer of Christ's people, he can save a long list of people. And I can sit and name a list of 2,000 people, drunkards, drug addicts, thieves, idolaters, prostitutes, pimps. Uh, I could just go on this list could go on forever, right? But let us remember, let us never get to a point that we judge others lest 
we be judged. You understand? And I've already told you why. So in understanding this, when Jesus comes, which is the great event that we're all looking forward to, when Christ comes, the Bible very clearly says what will take place. Notice what it says. Let's look at it. Notice what it says here. When God comes. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the who? Dead in Christ shall rise first. Don't lose that. Jot that down somewhere. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Okay. Then it says, then we which are what? Alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So the Bible is very clear in presenting this promise. Jesus said a long time ago in John 14, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, in my father's house of many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you so. He says, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, he says, I will come again and receive unto myself that where I am, ye may be also. This is the fulfillment of that promise. So when this takes place, is right here on the screen, Christ is going to see the righteous living, right? Christ is going to blow a trumpet, give a shout, and the righteous dead are going to pop up out of the graves like popcorn. Poop, 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 just pop it up, right? They're going to pop out of the graves. And those who are alive on the Lord's side in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 tells us they shall be changed and they will meet the Lord in the air. Now, does Christ come and touch the earth? That's the question here. Million dollar question. Million dollar question. We'll come back before you. Does Christ come and touch the earth? We got it right here. Looking at scripture. Looking at scripture. Nope. Nope. Let me see. I see a nope. Nope. He won't touch the earth. Mm. Nope. 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 Okay. We got a consensus here. So when people say, you know what? I seen God over here. I seen Jesus over here. I seen Jesus over here in this country. Yep, I seen Jesus in my toast. Mm -mm. I'm not sure which Jesus they saw because my scripture clearly tells me, clearly. I'm looking at it right here. I'm looking at it right here. And I'm also looking at it right here on all these different screens that I got going right now. It says, it says, he stays in the air and his people are gathered by angels and brought up to meet him. Understand? Right. That's what they say. You remember people say, I seen Jesus in my toes. They be sitting there taking a drink. Like, I see Jesus down off. They ain't to Jesus, you see? Because my Bible tells me in the second coming, when he comes back, they and uh, then we are which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. They may be having a nice cup of um, tea. Lord, I seen Jesus. Let me go on eBay and sell this cup of tea for $10,000 because I seen Jesus off of him. I don't know what Jesus you seen, but it's not the one of my Bible. It's just not because scripture says it right here. Y'all looking at it? Which side is it right here? That's what it say right here. Mm -hmm. Let's move on. Right now, understanding this, the next question is, let's go. That's seeking God and created things. That's doing something. All right, here we go. Understanding this, the next question is, if the dead in Christ rise, 
and the righteous living a change, that negates a whole group of people, a whole lot of people. You follow me? It negates the wicked dead because they clearly are not rising and then the wicked living because this verse does not tell us what happens to them. So what are we going to keep doing? We're going to keep deep diving. We're going to keep going in line upon line, precept upon precept, solo scripture. We're going to let the Bible do what it does. Scripture unlocks scripture. We're going to keep on going because we need to entertain these questions. What happens to the wicked dead and the wicked living? We know what happens to the righteous dead because the Bible says they rise first and then the righteous living are changed and they together meet the Lord in the air and so they are with the Lord forever. Okay, so what happens to the wicked dead? What happens to the wicked living? The Bible tells us very clearly in Isaiah 11 and verse four, talking about the wicked living. It says, and with the breath of his lips, shall he slay the wicked. So that means when Christ comes, he is not simply going to do all this great work for the righteous, but the wicked who are living, you following me, follow me now. The Bible says with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Going on. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 8, and then shall that wicked be revealed with whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. And this, mm, I'm not going to get on to that. Okay, Lord, I'm going to stay focused. Consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So again, when Christ comes, the righteous living, they are changed. Righteous living, changed. Rick, wicked living, they're what? Destroyed. You understand? All right. Watch this. Right. And the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth, even unto the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented, neither gathered, nor buried. They shall be dung upon the ground. Right. There are movies out there that came out. Y'all remember the movies, the Left Behind series. Right. And the, you remember these series and the saddest part about those. Right. Y'all remember those is that a lot of churches and a lot of people have taught that whole secret rapture concept, that whole foolery, right? It just don't make no sense. And it has been taught from many, many pulpits and people um, saying that they're men and women of God as if this was biblical theology, if this was biblical foundation. And I'm here to tell you again, as a watchman from the wall, even the authors of the books and the movies have said it was fiction. They themselves said that what they were teaching, what they were putting in these books and movies was not real. But even today, still, some individuals will still preach it like it's bona fide gospel, right? Mm, Lord, I had to have the Lord catch me on that one because we know it's bona fide doctrine of devils. Amen. That's exactly what it is. Let me put this up here. It's bona fide doctrine of devils. It's uh, not biblical. It's just not it is not. Go and look it up. Don't take again. Don't take my word for it. Go and Google the art if you want to waste your time doing it. The authors of those movies, I had to because of my study because I had to have my facts straight. Right? It is fiction. There's not going to be some millennial reign in time where individuals are going to be on the earth and there will be this extra opportunity to say, "Oh, let me get right before it's time to go to the upper room." There's not going to be that time. There will not be this opportunity. It's 
pure mutilation of scripture. I'm here to tell you, the Bible is very clear that when Christ comes, it says that the righteous living, they are changed. Righteous dead, they rise. The wicked dead, that is nothing of how the Bible says this thing is going to go down. You ain't got another seven years to get it right. It just don't happen. The Bible says, but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years was finished. This is the first resurrection. So it's a thousand years after the righteous dead rose from the grave is when the second resurrection takes place. Think about it. Everyone will get their reward when Christ comes. Continue to remember that. Don't forget it. Drill it in, right? Every time you go to do something, be like, Lord, everybody going to get their reward when Christ comes. Which reward do I want? So it's after a thousand years. It's a thousand years after the righteous dead rose from the grave. It's when the second resurrection, uh, resurrection takes place. Let's look at it here. That's because I don't want no confusion. What's really happening? When Jesus comes, the wicked dead, they stay in the grave. That's the wicked dead. Let me put it up here closer for you. The wicked dead, they stay in the grave. That's what it says. We, we just looked at it in scripture, right? When Jesus comes, the wicked living, they are slain and are literally like fecal matter upon the whole entire planet, bodies. Nobody's gathering them. Nobody cares about them. Nobody is burying them. It's straight Bible. Amen, Regina. They just laid out all over from one end of the earth to the other. That's what's happening to the wicked. So now we're going to look at this and see what events are to take place at the second coming of Jesus. Let's keep looking forward here because we're laying it out. What are the events to take place at the second coming of Jesus? Let's look at it. The dead in Christ are resurrected. Resurrected. The dead outside of Christ are not. Then the righteous living, follow it here, follow it here. Where's it at? Right here, this side, there, follow it right here, follow me. Then the righteous living are changed and meet the Lord in the air. The wicked living are destroyed by Christ's breath and brightness. Accurate? We've laid it out, line upon line, precept upon precept, straight Bible. The righteous go to heaven with Jesus. The wicked are in the graves or slain in the streets. You understand? You see the parallel, uh, the parallels we got going here? Laid it out, real nice and simple. Even put some pretty little arrows in there, right? Then the righteous are in heaven participating in the judgment on the wicked and the fallen angels, right? Why? Satan is bound with no one to tempt. Why? Because everyone is dead. That's why I love the Bible. Mm, I love my biblications because it makes things plain and it makes things simple. So when Satan is bound with his chain, it's not some chain of links. It's not what's shown here, some chain of links. What chain could be put on Satan? I ask you. What would be the point of a chain being put on him? Because it makes no sense. It's not a physical chain. It's a chain of circumstances because Satan won't be able to do the only thing he strived to live for, right? The only thing Satan loved to do was to rob, kill, steal, and destroy. But now the righteous living are gone. He can't tempt them anymore. The righteous dead are resurrected and they're gone. 
The wicked dead are still dead and the wicked living are slain. So literally all Satan has is 1000 years to think about what is coming upon him. That's it. That's it. No one to tempt. You understand? He will be limited in his ability to victimize. Why? Because there is no one to victimize. Everybody's gone. He can just sit and think what he got coming for him on that great day. Amen. Let's look at Revelations 20 and verse one. The Bible says, starting in verse one, and I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan and bound him. How long? How long? 1,000 years. It says, verse three, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations. What? No more. Now, why can't he deceive the nations anymore? Because there's nobody to deceive. You see it? Look at what it says, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season, right? A thousand years. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Let's move on. Let's look at the next verse, verse four. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now, is there anything in the Bible that says Christ is on the earth? So where would one get a millennial reign teaching that supposedly people are just going to reign for some period of time on the earth after that? It makes no sense. That's not how any of this works. It's just not how any of this works. Moving on, right? The Bible says they will reign with Christ for 1,000 years. Verse 5, but the rest of the dead live not again until when the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. This is the first resurrection. Then the Bible says, verse six, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So the Bible spells all these things out. So this chart, would you agree? Is a faithful chart. You agree? I just want to make sure before we move on. This is a faithful chart. Heavenly facts, straight according to the scripture, right? So <clears throat> when I look at this, I say to myself, well, this makes sense. And when we look at the rest of the scripture here, the Bible says, let's look at Revelation 20 again. Let's move on. The same Revelation 20 that we just read, look at what the text says here. Now watch this, follow me now. Let me zoom it up here so you can see. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Is that the righteous dead? Is that the righteous dead? We just finished reading Revelations 20. Come on now. We just finished reading Revelations 20. Is that the righteous dead? No. Mm-mm. No. No. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. Nope. However you want to say it. Let's move on. Right. It can't be. 
right? Because it is after that whole millennia time period, that whole thousand years. You understand? You understand? Get it? All right. So let's keep looking at it. What it says. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and the dead were what? Just out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Now, remember, the Bible says that we should judge who? Who? Not only the world, but also who? Did it say we were going to judge? angels. Now, when you look at Matthew 25, verse 41, then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So when the Bible says we're going to judge angels, remember I told you I was going to prove this point in the beginning, right? When the Bible says we're going to judge angels, it is referring to what we would call in today's language demons. Now, question. Another very important question. I've identified um, how many groups so far, right? How many? Make sure y'all staying on track. How many groups did I identify so far? We've done two. So that means I got still one more to go. We didn't get to group through yet. And I've taken all, all, <laughs> I've taken all this precious time just to make it plain by the grace of God, plain who those two groups are. I've intentionally taken my time. So let's re review who the two groups are, right? The world and fallen angels. All right, now here comes the night and day question, the question of the hour. The reason that I've labored on this wall, that I've toiled on this wall to make things plain and clear in this short period of time that I have before you. Here we go. Do we see the wicked being judged? Have you been shown that and seen that? Do we see the wicked being judged? Do we see the fallen angels are judged as well? I showed you. Solo scripture, straight from the Bible. Heavenly facts. Now, here goes the question. Man, and maybe I should get a prize or something. What do these two groups who fall under the judgment have in common? Come on. I know you can tell me after this. I know you can tell me just from this point. What do these two groups who fall under the judgment have in common? I'm going to drink me some water. I'm going to see if I'm going to wait and get my answer here. I see Lucifer. No. Come on now. I'll wait for it. Satan's peeps. Nope. Come on, my Bereans. I know somebody can tell me. I'm going to drink some of this tea too. What do these two groups who fall under the judgment, the two Jews, um, that's true, Natasha, they rejected Christ. Come on. Well, that's true, but that's not it. That's not the, that's not the one that I need. That's not the dividing line. They were both deceived. Uh, that comes Regina through. That comes Regina through. All right, let's look here. I'm look, this dividing line. Both of their judgments are post second coming. Is that right? From everything that I just showed you from the beginning to now. Is that right? You can't get away from it now. Scripture is the key that unlocks scripture. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Both of their judgments are post-second coming. Listen to me, because I didn't quote from any other book. 
I didn't say the prophet said. I didn't say Uncle Willie said. I didn't say Grandma Jones said. I didn't say I was taught back in the um, Baptist, Baptist, Africa, Methodist, uh, this. Uh-uh. I gave it straight to you from the Bible. Both of their judgments are post-second coming, right? Straight from the Bible. And the thing that these two have in common is that they both come under judgment, but both of their judgments are post-second coming. Their judgment takes place after the second coming of Christ. I just laid it out. Mm -hmm. You can't run it. You can't run in from it. Here it go. Is that right? Yes. Did the Bible support that? Yes. Well, now we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. You know why we're going to have a problem? I'm going to show you exactly why we have a problem. <laughs> oh, goodness, goodness, goodness. And some of y'all probably like, what in the world? I just don't understand what just happened. I'm going to show you exactly what's going on here. Come on. There's a first angel's message. And the first angel's message said something that made me go, hmm. You know, you had them say things that make you go home. And I said, hmm. Hmm. I had to really think on it. I had to flip through and say, hold on. Wait a minute. It made me think. And I'm praying that it makes you think as well. Do you know what the first angel's message said? If you don't, I'm about to tell you. Let's look at it, right? It says, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and every kindred and every tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. Why? Why? There we go. There we go. I saw it. Where we go? I saw it. The hour of his judgment is come. For the hour of his judgment is come. And you may be saying, hold up. Wait a minute. Wait. How many groups fall under the judgment? Three. How many did we identify? Two. So what do the two already identified groups have in common? Their judgments are after the second coming of Jesus. Question. Is this angel's message, this first angel's message, is it post second coming? or pre-second coming. I'll wait. Is this first angel's message post-second coming or pre-second coming? Solo scriptura, line upon line, precept upon precept. Come on now. Come on. It's pre-second coming. That is correct. Ding, ding, ding. Answer of the day question of the day. Hey, 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 I'm about to see y'all something. Y'all some good Bereans out there, right? How do you know? How do you know? I can tell you how I know because it's clear. We got to make everything clear. I've made everything clear from this, from the beginning to the end up to this point. Let's keep going. Revelations 14 verses 14 and 15. After the first angel's message is given, it says in Revelations 14 and 14, it says right here. Let's look at it. And I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like unto who the son of man having his uh, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle and another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud thrust in thy sickle and reap for the time is come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe now let's stop and make it plain what constitutes harvest time Let's look at it. What Matthew 13, 39 says. So we can be clear here, right? We can be clear. Revelations 14, after the first angel's message is given, it says, 14, 14. And I looked and behold, 
a white cloud. And upon the cloud, one sat like unto the son of man, having on his head a golden crown. It says right there. Let's look and see what it says here. It says, 39, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. Scripture is the key to unlocking scripture every time. Again, not what Big Mama said, not what Pastor um, Preto said, not what anybody said. The key to unlocking scripture and under understanding the terminology, what these words mean, truly mean, is to unlock it with scripture. Remember that, right? So what constitutes harvest time? The end of the world. Good, good. You got that? Let's keep going. So the Bible says that after these messages are given, then Jesus comes. So that means that this is pre-second coming. Question then, does this judgment hour apply to the wicked? Does this judgment hour apply to the wicked. Think with me now. Come on. You've been with me so far. Does this judgment hour apply to the wicked? I wait. I will wait on thee. Uh, Natasha says yes. Nadia says no. Mm, be ready. What's your first name again? I cannot re remember. Just tell me one more time so, so I can get it. Be ready. Um, he says, I believe it does. From what I've taught so far, does this judgment hour apply to the wicked? Does this judgment hour apply to the fallen angels? Does it? Nope, I can't. Because we've already learned that their judgments come when? Post-second coming. Does this judgment hour apply to the wicked? Does this judgment hour apply to the fallen angels? It can't. We've already learned that their judgments come post-second coming. So that would mean that this judgment message must apply to who? Group number three. Group number three. That means that this judgment's message, right? This one right here applies to group number three. That's right. Come on now. Come on now. Now it's time to find out who they are. Who is group number three? Before we get into that, somebody out there may be saying, well, wait a minute. Hold up. Hold up. I have a problem. I have a problem. You talking about a pre-advent, pre-second message coming. And you might also be saying, well, I know that the Bible says God will judge the wicked. That's perfectly clear. But you telling me, Tor, that God will judge righteous people. You might continue on to even say, I can find several places in the Bible where God says he judged the wicked. But there's nowhere in the Bible where God says he will judge righteous people. You might even be crafty enough. And come along and say, well, what about first Peter 4, 17? For the time has come that the judgment must begin at the house of God. And I say to that, nice try. Nice try. Because we could have used that text and I didn't. You know why? 
because I consider all of y'all to be very studious, just like me, a good Berean, a good, good, good studious students, right? Right. So I could have used that text and given you an opportunity. And you could have just threw a boomerang, came back and said, well, Tori, yeah, that's true. But Matthew 24, 44 through 51 very clearly says that there will be both good and evil servants in the house of God. So judgment begins with the wicked in the house of God. Right. That's why it's very, very important in Bible study and teaching that direct and clear teaching and answers are given in context so if that be one's argument right because i'm quite sure it's going to be out there somewhere if that be one's argument there's nowhere in the bible that god says he will judge righteous people then i say let's look at something solomon the wise man says the bible says in ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 17 i said in mine heart god shall judge the righteous and the wicked for there's a time there for every purpose and for every work is that clear because i love clear i love clear i love clear the bible says ecclesiastes three seventeen that god will judge the righteous ladies and gentlemen that is our group number three now you know who the righteous are they're the people who profess to be connected to god that is group number three there you go mm-hmm plain and simple you see that you see that can you see that? You see it right there, right? And you're saying, wait, Tor, you mean to tell me that all these people and all these, these church people, these re religious people now fall under judgment now? The answer, I tell you, is a resounding yes. God is judging the righteous. He's judging the wicked right. He's not judging the wicked right now. He's not judging the angels right now. We already learned when their time comes up. Scripture already shows us when their time comes up. But we are living in a time of judgment because the first angel's message clearly says, for the hour of his judgment is come. It's here right now. And as a result of that, I got news for you. You're under judgment. Plain and simple. Under judgment. Can't go back from it. Right. And I don't know about you, but I know when a man goes off into a courtroom, you tend to take you get called in. You tend to take judgment very seriously. Things about your life tend to change. You start to reflect and look at things just a little bit differently. Right. Because, you know, some permanent decision is about to be made in that courtroom. Right. Many of us, we call ourselves spiritual. We call ourselves Christian. We call ourselves Hebrew, Israelites, Baptist, Pentecostals, Methodist, Jehovah Witnesses, Apostolic, Catholic, Protestant. Anglican, Seventh Day Adventist, call ourselves Lutherans. The list could go on and on and on. When I Googled how many religions, how many denominations are there in the U.S. alone, I was just like, mm, mm, mm. and we all call ourselves a lot of things, and we all claim to be connected under God. And God says, you know what? I got a way to clean this up. I have set a day. God says, I've set a day when judgment will go in action. Everything that is right will stand. Everything that is false will crumble. That's exactly what he says. I said a day. You see right now, we don't know who's righteous. We have no idea. I have people say to me all the time, oh, you're such a woman of God, right? And I'm thinking, you don't even know me. You don't know me. 
I am not a woman of God and no person is a man, a woman of God, just because they know how to teach or preach, just because they know how to take words and put them together and make it sound all eloquent and good. I'm here to tell you, I can teach a parakeet how to deliver the same biblical study and convince you. I, I can do that. That is possible. You can teach a parakeet how to do that, right? So you and I, we are not men and women of God because we know, know how to stand at a podium behind a computer screen and explain things in the Bible. That's just not how any this work. Let me remind you that Satan is a student of scripture as well. Satan came and quoted to Jesus the Bible. You remember that? So therefore, a man or woman is not simply a man or woman of God because they can teach, preach. It just don't happen because we have a strange way of deriving and who are children of uh, people who are children of God and who have not. You may say, oh, my father, right? My mother, my father, they're men and women of God. But we don't know the secrets that go on behind closed doors, right? Things that we know nothing about. It just doesn't happen. So we have to be very careful, very careful who we call men and women of God, right? We suffer right now from a thing that I like to call Laodicea. Mm -hmm. That's what we suffer from. Something that's a horrible disease, right? We're in blindness and one of the symptoms. And sometimes we can't see straight, right? We can call something good when it's bad. We call something bad when it's good. So we don't even know who the righteous really are. We have no idea who the wicked really are. We just don't. And it's a result of that, brothers and sisters, God says, all of these people are professing to be my followers. All of these people are professing to know me and to love me. They all calling my name. Oh, I love Jesus. Got bumper stickers, right? Just full of ourselves. Got bumper stickers all over your car, walking around with shirts to say, I love Jesus. You know, all kind, you see all kinds of stuff, right? So God says, you know what? I'm going to settle I have appointed a day of judgment. God says, during my time of judgment, I'm going to investigate every single professor's life, right? Do you know why he does that? He does it for himself. He don't do it for himself because God knows everything. He knows, all right. God knows everything so he can do all things, boom, with a snap of a finger. He does this because he has a record that he has to let the world see. God is looking forward to that day when all the world, all the planets, everybody's going to be able to say, just and true are thy ways, O king of saints, right? And it is only at that time, at that time, that's when God is vindicated. Remember earlier in our study, that's when God is vindicated. He'll be able to say, yep, they finally saw it for themselves. New start. They saw it for themselves, right? That's why God never destroyed Satan. Remember my teaching on last Sabbath, teaching about the war in heaven. If God had destroyed Satan, even the angels would not have gotten a chance to see the full measure of the wickedness and path of sin that he left, right? Do you know what that would have done? If God had went in at that time and destroyed Satan, it would have made it much easier for what? Lucifer part two to show up. That's what would have happened. So God in his infinite and pure wisdom says, you know what? I'm going to let this ride. I'm going to let Satan reveal his character fully so that when the time finally comes and God brings all things to an end, people and angels everywhere will finally see the ultimate end result of a satanic mind and a satanic lifestyle. It is then, it is when that is seen, right? Nahum chapter one, verse nine, now become, when things become a reality that everybody will see the end result and those who will be with Jesus. Sin will not rise a second time because they know the end result.
They've seen the whole end result of the game that Satan wanted to play. God's sitting back saying, I'm going to take my, I'm going to let this ride out. Let me move my hands back. The way some of us feel right now, we're like, Lord, how you letting this happen? He said, y'all want to act crazy? Y'all want to worship idols? Y'all want to get more upset at who lost the Super Bowl, who lost the NBA game than right now, how it looks like I'm losing this war, even though in the end that I know I'm going to win against Satan. Y'all want to focus on all these material things? I'm going to take my hand. I'm going to let this ride a little bit. So therefore, friends, God wants to do something. And remember now, God does not want us to lose this battle. He wants us to win. So if God wants us to win, then something has to happen. And if this does not happen, we don't win. We don't win. And God wants us to win. Remember what I told you early in the study. When we say, Lord, I just want to be with you. He's saying, no, I want you to be with me. So right now today, God is saying, I want you to be with me. I want you to pass the judgment. But before you pass, before I pass, God has to be able to do something, right? And it's right here in Luke 21, verse 36. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be what? Let me make it bigger. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. God wants us to be able to stand before the Son of Man. He wants us to be counted amongst the group that will say, no, this is our God and we have waited for him and he will save us, right? That's what he wants to be able to do. God wants us to be counted amongst that group. But in order for us to be counted amongst that group and to stand worthy before the the son of man, we must first be accounted worthy. So my next question in my study was, and which I'm praying right now yours is, how in the world will he do that? How in the world will he do that? How's that going to happen? God says it's, it's simple. It's simple yet profound. God says, I have a standard. And anyone whose life is in harmony with this standard, I will account worthy and they will pass the judgment. Anyone whose life is out of harmony with the standard will fail the judgment. I will not be with them and they will not be with me. What is the standard, you ask? As it has been throughout this entire study, the Bible will once again spell out exactly what the standard is. You don't have to fail the judgment. We don't have to lose during this time, right? Consider an hour. It's a short period of time. And the hour of God's judgment is soon to close. We ain't got forever. And we know people love to delay God. Delay, 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 delay. Oh, I'll wait till next week. Oh, I'll put it off. Yeah, next week, next month, next year. Brothers and sisters, who in the world promised you or me that we have tomorrow? that we have even the next hour, that I have even the next five minutes to finish this teaching from the walls. Study your Bible, study it, because the Bible says our lives but but a vapor, James 14, four, here today, gone tomorrow. So what's the standard in the judgment? And I believe this is so clear the Bible says, if ye fulfill, fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, thou should love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, are convinced of law as 
convinced of the law as transgressors. Now watch this carefully. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Bible says it right there, line upon line. When he says study, we better study. I'm telling you, I am telling you, praise God, praise God. That is my intention, my brother, being a watchman on the wall, delivering God's message, the heavenly facts that he wanted me to deliver, right? It says, so speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. I'm not using any other book, nothing but the straight Bible facts, plain and simple. Let's go forward. The standard in the judgment is none other than God's 10 commandments, the law of liberty. Every single one of us are gonna come face to face with that holy law. God is going to look at my life. He's gonna look at your life and he's gonna say, did you honor your father and your mother? Did you misuse my name? Did you use my name in vain? You know, a lot of people say, OMG. OMG. Oh, you know, all sorts of stuff. Well, you're stealing, murdering, adultery, false testimony, slandering your neighbor without repentance and conversion. He's going to look and say, did you remember the Sabbath to keep it holy? He's going to look and say, do you have another God in your life? Do you have an idol in your life? Is there something that you will break your back for more for that thing than for me? What have you been breaking your back for, for that thing? Think about it more than God. What is it? We will all come to face to face with that mirror that is called his holy law. And he will say, hmm, whose life is in harmony with it? Friends, I don't know about you. I want to make sure my life is in harmony with the law. Love not the things of this world or the things that they are in it, because soon they will all be yet but kindling. It's all going to burn. It's all going to burn, right? So make sure and I want to make sure my life is in harmony with the holy law because every single one of us are standing before judgment right now. God has lifted up the standard of his law right before us. I've laid it out line upon line, precept upon precept. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, the changing of your actions, because we know once we have an encounter, a true encounter with God, once we have a true resurrection in our lives is the one that we're celebrating today, there is a change. It's not a 360 because the 360 takes you exactly back to where you were. You've done a complete 180 in your life and said, today I'm making a change. That's what we've done. A 180, repent, turn away, not a 360. There's a difference, right? So as the angels are recording every word, every action, not only the things that we say in public, but the things that we do in private when no one is looking. James 1.25 says, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he is being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed, right? Remember, angels recording. I don't know about you, but when I look carefully at my life, sometimes I can see more disharmony than harmony with God's law. I come to God many days like a man named Isaiah, and I come and say, now, woe unto them, Lord, woe unto me, Lord. I need your grace to make it through these trials. I can't make it through this judgment in and of myself. And beloveds, I'm here to tell you, you're going to need help too. 
Plain and simple. We all need help to get through this thing. We are living under a judgment right now, an investigative judgment that God wants you to pass. And just as I can't do it alone, I'm grateful that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. And if it's your heart's desire and you're saying, I'm like the blind man in Mark 8, 25, and you can see clearly now from scripture, line upon line laid out to that, I said, amen. I don't care what denomination you are. Once you profess to have a connection with God and have accepted his education, you're under judgment. God wants no one to perish. He wants us all to pass. And if you're under the sound of my voice and realizing and saying, Lord, I need help. I say, reach out to me. If you need individual study time and more understanding of the truth, reach out, right? The majority of people, they don't want to hear this kind of truth because it inconveniences current lifestyle. Or, or I was raised with this, right? I'm not changing now. Again, there goes that Laodicea-Ida syndrome, right? I was raised this way. I don't understand, right? People have been in churches hearing Name it, claim it. Health and wealth. Speak your abundance. Wealth is a sign of God's grace. Amen. You know, just a bunch of crazies. The prosperity gospel is not good news. It's a lie. It's a false promise for those who are desperate and vulnerable, plain and simple. You got people following and breaking their backs, striving for things of luxury, things that they can barely afford in an effort to prove that they spiritually blessed. Prosperity preaching will get you nowhere in this judgment hour, right? You have ministers in this late hour, earth's history with everything that's going on, got the nerve. You see prophecy being fulfilled left and right. And you got people standing with the nerve to talk about Benzes, BMWs, planes, material things. Again, these things are about to become kindling wood. When the doors on probation shut and close. It's a wrap. And God has raised up a message. God has raised up a message. No frills, no jokes. Dead serious. God says, I'm coming. And my desire is to save you. I don't want you to be lost. I know. I, I don't know what more I could have done for you. He says, I've given everything. I even gave my one and only begotten son to make sure that you're saved, right? It's going to be shut like Noah's Ark. You remember when they came back and they just banging on the door because they all said that Noah was crazy. The ones that sitting there saying, oh, there go that Torah. She crazy. She really done lost it. Mm -hmm. Right. Remember when they said the same thing about Noah out there and then they beating the blood coming down their fingers as they pulling at the wood trying to get the door. But once God shut the door on that ark, that was it. It was a done deal, right? God won't ask how many BMWs you got, right? Because he does not care. It's all going to be kindling and firewood, plain and simple, right? God says, I've given everything. I gave my one and only begotten son, right? He availed himself to us. There is no reason to fail except by our own choice because we simply just don't want it. So it's decision time. No matter what, you have to make a decision. You're going to have to make a decision. And today, I believe that Jesus has made his word clear through his words. We are living in the hour of judgment. And if you have clearly seen from the Bible today that you're living in the hour of judgment and you're saying, you know what? I'm willing to do what it takes and I want to pass the judgment. You can leave this study and go on to the next broadcast.
You can leave this study for those who are connected over on Facebook and scroll to the next live. Find the next meme. Find the next foolishness to engage yourself and your time in. You can leave this study and say, man, that Torah, that tornado, she was talking foolishness. I just don't want to hear no parts of it, right? You can leave this study and say, mm -mm, she done contradicted everything that my pastor and my upbringing or whatever the case may be, right? I can understand that because we're living in confusing times. That's because people are taking their eyes off the Bible and fixing their eyes on man. That's where confusion comes. If we would take our eyes off men and put our trust back into the words, the unadulterated word, the unmanipulated word, right? Line upon line, because that's when things get confusing and things don't have to remain confusing as they have been. They just don't, right? So if you're saying, I want to pass, I want to pass this judgment. I want to stand on the word of God. Well, I'm here to tell you that you have options. If you're wanting somebody to pray with you, reach out. I'd be happy to take time and intercede with you and pray for you on your behalf. And, and, and if you want further study, reach out. Maybe there's some things that said that contradict what you learned. Things that you've understood for so long that is plain and clear. As I made it in this teaching, you may be scratching your head and saying, it's still hard to understand because these, these, it's, my mind was filled with so much prior to this, right? I just, I still don't understand. It's kind of clear, but it's still a little bit murky, even though you use nothing but biblical scripture to lay it out. You unlocked each line of scripture with another piece of scripture that clearly defined it. You didn't make up words, Torah. You used straight biblical heavenly facts to teach you. If that is you, reach out. We can. I, I'll make sure if you're finding that it's kind of clear but not clear, just reach out if you got some questions. I don't mind. If you want to have Bible study, reach out. I'll make sure that I get you furnished with what you need. I am a watchman on the wall and I'm here to serve. If you study the Bible, and know your journey, and you know the number of times that God has spoken to your heart over and over and over again, and today you're saying, that's it. I'm not going to frustrate the gospel anymore. You've learned the word of God. You understand the word, but you never made a decision to go all the way with Jesus, even down to that water grave of baptism, and you're realizing and saying, I realize where I'm at in my walk with God, and I would like to be baptized. To that, I said, praise God. Reach out after this Corona vacation that we on right now. We can get you into a good truth teaching church building because we know that we are the church, but we can get you into a church building and get you underway. Right. You find find just good people to fellowship with. I have many, many faithful brothers and sisters across the U.S. and in many different countries around the world that can provide options in their countries, our respective cities. If you're here outside of Houston, where I am, reach out. I'd love to pray with you and rejoice with you, right? And also to ensure that the decision that you made is beyond emotion. Because sometimes we make emotional decisions, right? Brothers and sisters, it's time to make a decision. But keep in mind, even when you don't make a decision, you've made a decision. And I pray is not the worst one. God's heart desire, I print before, present before you, life and death, blessings and cursings, but God says, choose life. Therefore, if you've chosen life and want that life of Christ to be inside of you, let's pray, brothers and sisters. Reach out to me. Reach out to me. You can find me. Reach out.
If you've chosen life and want that life of Christ to be inside you, let's finish the work. Let's finish the work and let's seal the decisions that have been made today as we go before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we have sensed your presence and your power today, Father God. We thank you and thank you so much for tabernacling with us today, Lord, in such a mighty way. Thank you for taking your words, Father God, and making them plain to our hearts. Lord, through these efforts of study and teaching, I'm grateful that you can take a feeble tongue and use them for your honor, praise, and glory, Father God. I pray that you've been glorified today, Lord, and I pray that you will bless each and every one of my brothers and sisters as they made decisions to follow you and to do whatever it takes to be counted amongst those who will make it through the final scenes of this judgment hour, Father God. Lord, I thank you for every precious soul that has heard your words today, Lord. I ask that you please abide with them and keep them, Lord. Lord, if there be even one who would say, you know what? I don't want this. I reject it. It interferes with my life, my comfort zone, and my traditions. I pray that you would agitate them, Father God. I pray that you agitate that individual and you give them no peace, no rest until they realize their need to surrender all to you to surrender all to Jesus, Father God. The time is late, time is short, and soon Christ will come. And we want to be counted amongst those that pass the judgment, Father God. I thank you that you've availed all power in heaven that it may be accomplished, Lord. Let not our will be done, but yours is our prayer and all that we ask in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Brothers and sisters, let's finish the work. Let's finish the work. And until next time, as I always close out, until next time, walk good, do good, be good. Search your hearts today. Until next time, tornado, I'm out. I love y'all. I truly, truly do.